Welcome to Season 3 of White Shores, the podcast for spiritual beings having a human experience. Let me invite you to walk once more beside me on White Shores to talk about the real meaning of life. Let's discuss dreams, rituals, intuition, angels, the afterlife and other infinite possibilities within and all around you. Season 1 featured interviews with some of the world's leading scientists researching consciousness. Season 2 focused on honest practitioners and the theme of this Season 3 is regeneration, rising like a phoenix from the ashes of confusion, pain and loss. I hope every episode offers you much needed comfort, inspiration, hope and perhaps even a little joy during these challenging times. So, now the scene is set, allow the grey rain curtain of this world to roll back and all to turn to silver glass. Let's walk barefoot on the gentle, glistening sands of white shores and pause a while to gaze at the horizon to see what magic lies beyond the material. Thank you for arriving safely on White Shores, a far green country under a swift sunrise. My guest today is a psychotherapist and best-selling mindfulness author. I'm really happy he's here because mindfulness has become such a buzzword today and many people, myself included, want to know more or struggle to fully understand it. I've been to many a mindfulness seminar in my time, and full disclosure here, I've fallen asleep in most of them. I've also done many mindfulness courses and checked out of them both mentally and physically. Mindfulness is, of course, being present, being here in the now, not thinking about the future or the past. And I get that simplicity, I truly do but I wish there was not so much jargon and rah-rah surrounding it, making it seem like a mystery or worse still, a complicated art. It frustrates me that so many light workers are presenting hours long workshops or courses about it when basically this is something you can easily learn for yourself without parting with your hard earned cash. All you need are a few simple pointers to start living mindfully. That's why my next guest is so darn refreshing. For the first time ever, I felt I could exhale when discussing the topic of mindfulness. He really is a breath of fresh, mindful air. He shines a pure and simple light on mindfulness I wish was shone everywhere. If you've ever found meditation or mindfulness tedious or thought it pointless, please do listen carefully to what he has to say. And at the end of the interview, he's going to offer you a five-minute mindfulness exercise you can do while listening to this podcast. But please, if you do do it, make sure you're safe and you're not driving or operating machinery. And please do stay tuned after the interview for a piece of music I will personally introduce because for me, I think it should be the theme tune, the anthem of mindfulness. I believe it captures the essence of mindfulness perfectly. And you all know if you listen to this podcast that I also believe listening to great music 
helps unite the creative and logical parts of your brain and brings you a much needed dose of inner peace. I just think listening to the peace at the end of this interview daily could be all the mindfulness training you ever need. It's played by my son and Royal College of Music scholar, Robert, who is also producing this podcast. And now, as you listen to the interview with my guest, you may be inspired to read or reread the book that really put mindfulness on the map. And that book, book is one of the best-selling spiritual books of all time. It's called The Power of Now by Urquhart Tolle. I highly recommend it. And if you ever watch the author doing videos, what might strike you is not just his obvious inner calm, but that there is always a hint of laughter in his voice. For me, spirituality should be light like that. So if you ever get the urge to sign up for a mindfulness course again and find it boring, tedious, complicated and overly heavy, serious and po-faced, listen to the interview with my guest, listen to the music at the end of this podcast, Go read The Power of Now, along with my guest's book, of course, and one or two or three or five, (laughs) as I've written so many spiritual books, of my books too. Okay, enough preamble now. Let's get mindful. Stay tuned. If you would like to find out more about my books, warning, I'm a serial spiritual writer, as well as my features, media, mission and talks, please do visit www.theresachung.com and subscribe to my newsletter for updates as well as free gifts and incredible stories to your inbox. If you have any questions, insights or stories to share, please email me at my trusty angeltalk710 at aol.com email or message me via my author pages on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. I aim to reply to everyone in due course. Season one of White Chores can be found on the podcast page of my website and all seasons can be found wherever you download your podcasts. Be honoured and grateful if you could leave a review as it helps spread the word that spirit is real. Walking beside me today on White Chores is Martin Wells, a psychotherapist in the NHS, that's National Health Service in the UK, for over 30 years and a best-selling mindfulness author. He teaches mindfulness to patients and staff. 10 years ago, his own experience of letting go after attending a talk by a French psychiatrist and non-dual mystic radically changed the way in which he now works. The experience prompted a profound shift in perspective, allowing Martin to understand non-duality as being at the heart of mindfulness and psychotherapy. Now, if you're listening and you don't know what non-duality is, don't worry, you're not alone. Martin will reveal all in his interview. (laughs) In his absolutely beautiful book called Sitting in the Stillness, he suggests that perhaps there is nothing to fix within ourselves, and he offers a collection of true life stories from the therapy room. Each story invites the reader to go beyond these personal accounts to the universal, beyond the agitations of the mind to an infinite stillness of being. The stories include examples from group therapy, 
mindfulness groups, family and couples therapy, and demonstrate our fundamental interconnectedness. Especially relevant book, given the rise in mental health problems that was happening even before the panic, goodness, a pandemic, goodness knows what's happening now with the pandemic Mm. upending all our lives. But anyway, we'll talk about that in the interview. Hello, Martin. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Now, for many people listening, um, and, you know, the M word is around a lot in New Age movement now, mindfulness. It's really become a buzzword. And in, in, in essence, it basically means noticing now, paying attention to the power of now. Yeah. Now, it sounds like a wonderful ideal. <laughs> Does it not feel too gentle to be effective, especially right now with the world in such intense crisis and in urgent need of help and action? What would you say to people who say that this is all very nice if we're in a monastery yes. and we're having quiet life without the busy demands? How is it? going to help us now that's a really great question um it it does have a sort of gentleness in 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 one sense um but in another sense you know it's uh it's quite uncompromising when we really allow life to to live us to to in in the in the words of the Rumi poem to welcome every guest and and in that in that sense um there's, sometimes there isn't a gentleness sometimes love comes with a a sword as well as a pen and it cuts through illusion it, it uh, disturbs patterns of being that we've got comfortable in but don't actually serve us and in in the wider sense you mentioned the pandemic we could we could say that this is this whole crisis is really disrupting our patterns of living which um, have got us into all sorts of difficulties already. So, so why not allow that disturbance to happen and, and to be clear about what's illusory and what's real? And, mm. and, and that's, in a sense, at the heart of mindfulness. Now, mindfulness, again, now I've kind of given a very basic introduction yeah. to it. For anyone out there who isn't quite, it sounds all very complicated, mindfulness, and who's maybe thinking I'm not really quite sure what it means can you give your understanding of it I mean we all have our, our own explanation yeah. but how you and why why does it work in your opinion well I'll start with the second question and maybe maybe that will come to the description as well I was I was uh, doing a, a mindfulness group in the NHS last year and uh, a member of the group who just started had been in another mindfulness group the year before that a colleague was doing and I said, well, what did you what did you get from that? And, and bear in mind, this is a woman who's had long-standing mental health problems, including psychosis and, and some very, very difficult stuff. And she said, oh, that's easy. Now I know I'm not my thoughts. Now I know I'm not my thoughts. And uh, she was so clear about it. And, and as a definition or, or, or sort of a definition of how it works, I think it's really helpful because it's not a problem that we have thoughts. The problem is that we identify with them. So we, we might have the thought that I'm, I'm not worthy or I'm, I'm unacceptable or I'm not lovable or, or I'm a bad person. All these deep-seated beliefs if if we identify with them, of course, they're enormously problematic. 
as soon as we observe them, which is the essence of mindfulness, noticing and accepting, as soon as we observe them, there's a space created between the observer and the thought. And, and that's such a gift. So you're saying thoughts pass through us. Yes. That we are saying. What's the difference? How can you tell the difference between thoughts and feelings? What's the difference? Feelings pass through us, feelings and thoughts, they sort of mesh together. Are we also not our feelings? No, no, neither. We're, we're, we're not either. And, and yes, of course, they're, they're, they're sometimes meshed in the sense that, um, like if I have a thought, maybe I have a thought about something I'm very worried about that's happening tomorrow, a meeting I'm having, a conversation I'm going to have, then that's not just a thought. That will, that will generate some tension in the stomach, maybe some dryness in the mouth. It's a, it's a very physical, physical connection and can work both ways. We can have a, a sensation that also generates a thought. So they are intimately linked. Mm. Well, is there any research sort of science, in scientific journals, medical journals about mindfulness that you could maybe talk about? I know my, re- my listeners and readers often glaze over when I, because I'm passionate about the <laughs> science. And most people don't actually, you know, the science is all very nice in the background, but most people actually sort of yawn when I start talking about it. But is there any sort of like credible studies out there um, for mindfulness? Yes, yes, there are. I can't, I can't quote them off the top of my head because uh, it's not something personally that um i think you can evaluate very easily so how for example how can you evaluate the quality of of a stillness of a, of a presence or of a silence or of a spaciousness uh, I, I once had a colleague when i first started in psychotherapy who who it was around the time of evidence-based medicine and research uh, and he was talking about psychotherapy in this instance and he said well, you you don't go to the tape gallery and count the brushstrokes. And uh, that made a big impact uh-huh. on me. <laughs> because, yes, of course, we can research <laughs> things. And, and there, is a, there is research out there. Um, but the, there's a limit to, to what you can research in terms of consciousness, in terms of presence, and in, in terms of a, a deep feeling of, of, of stillness or silence. Absolutely. It's all down to direct personal experience. And yeah. I wondered if at the end of the interview, would you be so kind as to maybe for a minute or so to give us a mindfulness exercise? Yes, of course. Some, just something simple that people yeah. can take away, something that you teach yeah. um, to your patients and staff. I'd, I'd, I'd really appreciate that, if that's yeah. okay, right at the end. <laughs> I won't block the flow of the interview now. Yeah, that's fine. I mentioned in in the introduction that there's been a rise in mental health problems over the years, and I was aware of this, you know, prior to the pandemic. Yeah. But are you noticing right now that this is on the increase, or has the pandemic actually had um, a more healthier effect that it's forced more of us to go within, you know, during the lockdown and to be more mindful and to think about what really matters yeah. in life? I, funnily enough, I think the answer is yes to both. <laughs> I think I think for some people this has been enormously challenging um, and difficult. Um, for example, people in um, uh, abusive relationships with with very few places to go, very few escapes from that. But for a lot of people, and I, I've heard this time and time again, um, a lot of people have felt the relief of 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 not 
having that social pressure of having to be like this or having to be entertaining or having to go out and socialize, having to go to work perhaps. And um, it, in a way that is a sort of um, a monastic experience of simplicity. Yeah. And it's, it's quite beautiful in, in some ways. I know I, know I really enjoyed aspects of, of lockdown. It's it's bizarre, isn't it? Because I, you know, I, I sometimes do talks. You know, I'm quite reclusive normally, but yeah. I realise that most of the stress of doing the talks is the actual travel, getting there, yeah. and, and and to be able to zoom them and to, to yeah. not worry about wearing high heels or anything. Yeah. <laughs> no. just from the neck up, you know. <laughs> exactly yeah. so um so there, there have been positives as there is with every any everything in life is well it? i think you see one of the things one of the things is that we we are in a we're in a, a highly individualistic mostly ego-driven capitalist acquisitional society and and that leaves us with a, with a with a curse really because we'll we'll never satisfy that that what the Buddhists call a hungry ghost. We'll never, we'll never satisfy that. And, and the freedom from that is not getting what we want. It's freedom from wanting itself. So if, if we drop all the, all the sort of urgent drive to get somewhere or get something or have more of this, there's a, there's a deep freedom that, that emerges, which I think we got a glimpse of in, in lockdown. Oh, thank you. That term hungry ghost, because I often talk about materialism in my yeah. can I can I can I use that please? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I could just feel a cha a chapter coming with that yeah. title. That's that's absolutely beautiful. The the image, Teresa, is is of a of a, um, a ghost with a huge stomach and a tiny mouth. So it it, it can't be satisfied, basically. Wow. That's also a book title that I can see. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I shall credit you. But anyway, to return to depression and anxiety, you mm. deal with that in your life. And thank you for all that you do working to help and heal people. I mean, I just write about it, but you live it on the front line. So I'm mm. I'm in awe. Thank you. But obviously in your work, you probably would use a mixture, wouldn't you, of mindfulness, psychotherapy and medication? Yeah. Would you yeah. see that it's the balance of all those three? What is the best way after all these years, these decades that you've been working at, you, do you feel to manage crisis, personal trauma, breakdown? Um, in one word, welcoming. Uh, now, and, and that's, that's a challenge for us. Um, but, but the problem with our, um, our paradigm for depression and anxiety is that many people come into the NHS and uh, they feel like a failure. They feel like something's gone wrong. They need someone to treat them and make them better. And, and there's some truth in that on a functional level. But on the level that you and I are talking about today, these, these things are, are, are part of a, a, of a breaking down of a pattern. Uh, for In depression, for example, it's often an exhaustion of a style of doing things that needs to come to an end so that so that other more organic and natural ways of, of managing can, can come to the, to the surface. And the same with anxiety. It helps us deal with our deepest fears. Otherwise, we, we sort of tread along the path, trying to stay, above, stay afloat, stay comfortable. But these things are to be welcomed. 
and that's in a, in a way the gift of the of the stories that came to me in the book that that the people with courage who really faced their demons and and found that there's freedom beyond that would you be able to share obviously you don't want to share um too much because you want i want people to go out and read this book but yeah. is, there a, is there a story that you could just sort of reference to give, to give a flavor of the kind of story that yeah. you included there yeah well um I suppose one of the most dramatic stories is a guy that I saw in the NHS who um, came to me with the label of psychopath. And uh, he had the most horrendous history um, of violence from his father, um, in including being hung out of a window when he was three years old by his ankles uh, and, and, and threatened to be dropped. Uh, and there were a litany of stories, and he, he ended up quite violent himself um, and was in prison for a long time. He was homeless for a while. Um, and we met for three years or so, something like that. Um, and he was probably the scariest person I've ever sat with initially, um, and, and that was part of his, his way of being, really. Um, but... Over time, he, he, he faced what was really, for him, the biggest difficulty was his vulnerability and, and, and showing weakness. And uh, he, he was, when he first came, really angry with his father and by the end um, was grieving his father, grieving the father that he, he never had in a very deeply emotional way. And, and I won't, as you say, I won't say too much and there isn't time. But the story ends with him going to uh, a hospital to give some blood. And the nurse says to him, um, are, you a, are you an addict or have you ever been an addict? And he, he said, yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've been an addict and, and I'm a psychopath. But really, he said, I am love. And, and in that, he'd really grasped the notion of the story of him and the essence of him, the difference between the story of him and the essence of him. I get that. We, we all have our stories, yeah. don't we? Yeah. Um, how, and how do we find freedom from the, these stories that trap us? We all have this. Yes. I'm thinking of my own life as well, you know, things that I tell myself or my yeah. background looking at it. How do we all of us listening would have this. How do we yeah. start to have freedom? Apart from reading your book, of course, <laughs> would include. But how? How? Where do we begin if we've got this perception of ourselves and who yeah. we are, yeah. and it's a negative one, and it's not. We're not. It's not attracting into our life the abundance. Yes. Yes. Every one of us is our birthright. How? How do? How do we exactly. start moving away from these negative dialogues? Well, there's two two streams to the answer, and there's two streams to this practice that that's in the book and that we're talking about today, and and those two streams are the uh, the understanding, what's called the understanding, and the other stream is the practice. So, so briefly, the understanding is is to know and to deeply know that we aren't that story, that it is just a story, and and like any fiction it's not ultimately real or true so that that's one aspect of of, of how we how we so would, would you say it's a bit like our thoughts just as our thoughts are exactly. not us our story exactly. 
it, it sort of is built, the bricks of our story are built by our thoughts, aren't they, exactly. that have become ingrained? Yeah, exactly the same. Exactly yeah, the same. okay. So, yeah. so what an infant does, um, let's say an in, infant has been rejected. The infant doesn't say to itself, uh, I am rejected or I was rejected. It says, I am a reject. It becomes mm. a very personal narrative and then, of course, plays out in different ways. So, so yes, it's exactly the same as that. I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my story. I'm not my patterns of defense. Um, I'm not the things that have been attributed to me. None of that is actually essentially my true nature. So then, then we, we understand that, but that on its own isn't enough. So the second half of the answer to your question is that, is that we need to put that into practice. And, and that's, again, where mindfulness comes in. Because in our conversations and in our relationships, we can notice where the story catches us. Where, where do we fall into old patterns? Where do we get defensive? Where does ego play too big a part rather, rather than the freedom from, from that story? And, and there's, again, the essence of mindfulness, noticing and accepting that's the, that's the story that we're living out. Sometimes minute by minute, certainly day by day. Thank you. And I, I'm just remembering what I said in the introduction about explaining non-duality. Yeah. Thank goodness I remembered that. <laughs> Please, can you, can you explain that now? Wow, yes, it, it's, it's always a tough one in a sense. And, and, and in, in a way, it's a tough one because of, um, because in some ways, because of the impossibility of it. And, and that's, that's why it's called non-duality. It's weird to call something not two, isn't it? But, and really, overall, we're talking about oneness. But, but the mind in a sense, can't know oneness because it's, it is already a great separator and, and, and a great individual sort of um, perspective on things. So it sees a world of things, separate things. So, so non-dual, non, not to, really means, and again, comes back to your previous question, if we can observe what we're not, not two, not separate, then that oneness is re is revealed to us. So, so mind not separate from who, body, from who we are. Is that what you're saying? Non-duality is that? No, we're not separate from from anything, are we? I mean, no. as I breathe in now, uh, is the air that's gone into my lungs now my lungs, or is it still? from the outside and when I breathe out is it mine or has it gone elsewhere you know that the whole I'm, I'm looking out on on our back courtyard and garden here I mean all of that is intimately connected the, the trees can't exist without everything around it being in harmony and in balance and and we're that too we're absolutely that that's blissful the image you you conjure up there would you you say what you this image of interconnectedness that you're 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 writing for us with your words? Hmm. Um, is that happiness? How would you define? Is that ha happiness? What's your 
definition yeah. of happiness. It's that sense that you are not separate, that you belong to everyone and everything. Yes, I, I think that's a really good definition. I mean, there are many, but I think that's a good one. And um, I was talking about this the other day. And, uh, of course, the problem with a lot of our language is it has so many associations. So mm. we say the word happiness and we tend to think of people laughing or at a party or, or something like that. Happiness is, I think, I, I prefer the word joy because I, I think then then we might um, see it as the joy of being alive and and including the challenges of being alive, some of the painful aspects of being alive, as well as the the, the, the more traditionally happy aspects of being alive. I'm glad you mentioned that because people so often think that, you know, on the spiritual path or whatever, that, it, you know, you're going to be eternally happy all the no. time. And I keep saying that's not the definition really because no. spirituality is growth and sometimes we you know, we grow often through our challenges, don't we? Absolutely. In, in a state of happiness, you know, not many breakthroughs are, are often made in the comfort zone or when yeah. you're feeling feeling content, you don't tend to push yourself as much. And I think, I don't know why we're here, but I think one of the reasons is, is to evolve. Yeah. And you're not going to evolve if you're just constantly content. So if you are out there feeling a bit rattled <laughs> or, you know, or feeling rough, you know, it's all... Yeah. learn from it and and mindfulness yeah. can help you step outside that and see that you're not your suffering you're not yeah. your, you know um well, this, this is absolutely wonderful to talk to you about this martin please can you tell people where they can find your book yes yeah, sure um what's it called where where they can order it everything it's called it's called sitting in the stillness and it was published by john hunt publishing in February this year. Um, it's available through uh, Waterstones, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, I think they're an American company, aren't they? And yeah. uh, several other um, uh, bookshops that I, I can't remember offhand. And it's already bestseller, I hear. <laughs> so well, congratulations. Well, well, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> well, actually, you could think that it was, it actually arrived just before the pandemic. And, yeah. when it, and you know, I, I do think things happen for a reason. Yes. And yeah. it came out just at a time when people were most receptive to this. Because, you know, maybe if it come out February 2019, it wouldn't be the bestseller, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But it came at the perfect time because we all, in times yeah. of crisis, we tend to go to our spiritual roots, don't we? Yeah, to indeed. find meaning behind it, and your book can help that. And where can people find out about you? Do you have a website? Are you? Are you, are you yeah, are... I've got a website called Non Dual Mindfulness. Non Dual Mindfulness dot com. Yeah, that's it. And can people message you there and everything? Yes, there's messages. There's um. There's some sort of podcast type things and interviews, uh, a bit more. There's some academic writing, and there's obviously um, other stuff, blogs and things like that. Oh, that's wonderful. Now, I promised everyone listening that Martin's going to talk us through a mindfulness exercise, which I'm excited about because um, <laughs> many people who follow me know that I struggle with meditation and mindfulness. I'm a fidget. So if you do hear snoring, it's me on the end. So your challenge, Martin, <laughs> to keep me relaxed but awake. <laughs> I have been to mindfulness thing, and I must admit I have struggled with mm. it. Um, so that's my my learning curve. As I say, yeah. we're all on a, on a journey. But before what have you, what have you struggled with briefly? Because that might, that might help people. What, 
Well, I went to one once and, and the guy had tiny symbols, which he started the exercise with and ended with it. And I just got obsessed by these silly symbols. <laughs> it just seemed so ridiculous. And it's silly things like that. And I've got to just sort of focus on why we're here. And then I must admit, we lay down and did it. And the person next to me, I did his snoring. Um, and so maybe I've just not yet, you know, been to the right environment. But I, I, I mean, I love totally the power of now, for example, which yeah. is mindfulness. I understand it. And it, yeah. as I said, it's just finding the right teacher. And maybe it's something I need to do with myself. I guess when I write, I'm very mindful. Yeah. yeah. We all have different ways of doing it or garden or spend time with my pets. I mean, I suppose they're different ways. But actually an exercise with it. That's why I'd love to, 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 to hear what you're doing. But before okay. you do that, um, I ask each one of my guests um, to give a movie recommendation. Um, because <laughs> White Shores is a tribute to my love for the Lord of the Rings, um, because White Shores is the undying land. Oh, so yeah. Yeah. Where, where, where Frodo goes at the end. So, and it's been interesting because the guests often give some really unusual or very well-known recommendations of movies that have kind of got a spiritual theme or something that's elevating mm. and inspirational mm. for people to take away. Is there anything that has really spoken to you or informed your writing, your work? Yes, yes. There, the, what comes to mind is um, a little film called Lars and the Real Girl. Never heard of it. I love this. This is a new. This is a new movie recommendation. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and it stars Ryan Gosling. Ah, uh, right. I'm watching it. Okay. Yeah. Moving. Yes. And very, it's a very sort of accepting and compassionate movie about a guy who's got some mental health difficulties. When was it released? Because I, I wouldn't, I haven't heard of it. Oh, oh, at least ten to fifteen years ago, I should think. So it's an early, is it an early Ryan Gosling? Oh no, it's not. Yes, yeah. it is. Okay, <laughs> is it something he'd be proud of now? <laughs> I hope so. I think he was brilliant. Yeah. Because <laughs> movie therapy is a thing, isn't it? As well, yeah. you know, sometimes you, you can do that. But anyway, enough. Well, we, we play that. Um, we recommend that to psychiatry trainees. Wow. Oh. I'd love your thoughts on there, everyone. If you haven't, I mean, I'm sure if you haven't watched it, what you what you think of it. So, so thank you, thank you for that, yeah. and thank you for your time today, your very precious time. And as I said earlier, thank you for all that you do, bringing much needed healing and inner peace to thank the you. world thank today. Writing me too, it's been really, really enjoyable. Thank you, and I'm now just going to, as long as you like, just. Just give us an, an exercise and I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> shut up, Teresa. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> Over to you, Martin. About five minutes, would that work? Absolutely, as long yeah. as you like. Absolutely. Right. Just take it away, Martin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So. So all of us now together listening, just just spend a initially a moment or two noticing the contact that your body makes with the chair or the cushion or the sofa. We're not changing anything or doing anything at all really we're simply noticing the body as it sits here
And the same with any thoughts that come. You're just noticing. Key to all of this is, is noticing and accepting. Notice the breath as it comes and goes. Just the rising and falling of the chest. And again, we're not doing anything not doing breathing. If anything, we're being breathed, just allowing the breath to come and go. Nothing to do. Meditating mindfulness takes us away from a world of doing into a world of being. So there really is just sitting, being here. is already happening, so there's nothing to do. And as we sit here, there's no past, no future. It's just here and now. There's no doing this right or doing this wrong. It's simply being. There's nothing to grasp. 
no expectation. Nowhere to go, we're just here. sort of resting in awareness. unlike most of our lives, uh, normal lives, there's, there's nothing to do, just sitting, there's nowhere to go, just here, and there's no one to be, pressure to be a certain or improve. It's just this moment and that's enough. Before we finish, we can know that this sense of peacefulness, of resting in awareness, is available to us in the rest of life. We don't have to be sitting quietly or meditating. That's helpful to practice. But allow these moments of awareness, peaceful observation, Allow them to be part of your everyday life. Let your actions come from stillness. Your words from silence. Okay, so come back to an awareness of wherever you are 
That's did you manage beautiful. to stay away for it? I did, although <laughs> I, I feel I want to play this every morning to start my day because I feel so calm. That's that's what I yeah. I really did. The only thing is my dog was on the floor breathing very loudly and I was really, my thoughts kept going to, I hope Martin doesn't think that's me. It wasn't. If you heard every breathing, it was my dog, Arnold, and I'm really sorry. No, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And what a gift to everyone listening. Thank you. That's a real gift you've given them. And um, I've I've got this now to play every day. And you'll maybe convert me to it yet. Uh, <laughs> but your book certainly does. It's a fabulous read. I, I really recommend it. Oh, um, and just thank you for walking beside me today on White Shores, Martin. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me, Teresa. Thank you from my heart for being here and walking beside me in spirit on White Shores. Sensitive, kind and compassionate souls like you who see beyond the material are needed more than ever today to help the world heal. Thank you to Clan Ree for the blissful episode music and do check out the show notes for all details about this episode and my contact details. I'm going to say goodbye for now with a musical or literary offering, a piece of heaven for you to take away and store in your heart as you return refreshed to your one precious life. Until we meet again on these white shores, keep being amazing spiritual you, sending my eternal love and gratitude. Whenever you want an instant dose of mindfulness, try this. Find somewhere quiet, close your eyes, put this music on, and as you listen to it, merge with your mind, body, and spirit with every note. Details about the piece can be found in the show notes, but it's very well known as it's often used in films and adverts to set a tone of peace. Whenever I listen to it, I feel totally mindful and present. Images of beautiful falling autumn leaves and floating in a hot air balloon fill my mind and my heart and they raise me up. What do you feel when you listen? What do you see with your eyes wide open and wide shut? <laughs>